Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Father, we do ask that uh, the hymn that we just sang would be, as it was for Isaac Watts, a, a prayer. Forbid it, Lord, that we should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of these things that charm us, all of these things that cause us to wander from the truth of your word and absolute worship of Christ, we ask that they would fall behind us, that we would sacrifice them to worship and adoration, and praise and thanksgiving of our Lord. And so we ask that you would do these things and thereby build up your church, make her strong, equip her for the work ahead. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Again, as we mentioned last Matthew has a very strong assertion of a comprehensive fulfillment of the Mosaic Law by Jesus Christ. He sees a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the abiding validity of the law. Matthew is somewhat known for his fulfillment formula in his gospel. And it's a prominent feature as we looked at a few verses last week in Matthew chapters 1 through 4, where Christ is the fulfillment of all righteousness, he says, that Christ fulfills certain things as given by the prophets. But when we speak of fulfillment of the law, as he does in 5.17, that he came not to abolish but to fulfill the law and the prophets, I think there are two basic views, at least from my reading and what I can understand, two basic views that people have of Jesus and the law. One is that he simply continued teaching the law that the four Gospels are separate somehow in their minds from the rest of the New Testament, that the Gospels are Jesus' ethical teaching, that he gives his moral instructions, but as a continuation of the law. It's Paul who came in and was the founder of Christianity, that he taught these 25-cent words to us, justification and sanctification, that he created a new religion, but there's also, and I guess that it is an antithetical view, that Jesus came to do the opposite, to abolish the law completely and introduce in its place grace. 
And I suppose that the proof text that would be used for that position is John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. But before we can go on and look at this text, I think we need to do what we promised last week is to try to define or understand what is meant by the law and the prophets, what is meant by to fulfill. And I will tell you plainly that not all scholars agree that there is debate among them, even those men that, if you were to look at my shelf, the three or four or five of them, commentaries that I have on various books of the Bible, on a various subjects of the Bible, do not agree on at least all aspects of these definitions. But what, what would Jesus mean by the law and the prophets? Well, I think simply it means the whole Old Testament. It, it means all of the writings, all of the narratives, all of the law. And in that context, the law, again, cannot be separated into this or that. It is the entire law, I believe, that he is speaking of the moral law, the judicial law, the, the legislation that was given to the people of Israel and to the ceremonial law. In other words, all that pertains to life, to our conduct, to our behavior. And in that, it included direct injunctions, things that we were to do and not do, but it also included prophecy, foretelling what was to come, prefiguring or shadowing what was to come later. And we normally think of that as being the duty of the prophets to foretell. And certainly they did foretell of the coming Messiah, but the prophets also had the job of calling people back to the law. They, their task included interpretation and application of the law, as well as foretelling the coming of the promised Messiah. And so we see that the law does things that the prophets were to do, and the prophets doing things that the law does. And again, I think that's why we can say the law and the prophets is the whole. It, it, it can't be divided. There is a unity there of the Old Testament. But this word, to fulfill, what does it mean? Well, the lexicons use phrases like to make full, to fill up, to bring to completion. And in saying that, it holds these nuances of there is a realization of something, or a completion, or a consummation of something. Vern Porthris, in his book, believes that it cannot mean confirm. And there are those who have done a study on the word and mean that it confirms. But he says he does not believe that it can be that because it suggests, quote, a static maintenance of an existing rule. In other words, things that are to remain as they were, whereas fulfill suggests an advance toward realization, that there is something more. 
And hopefully next week we'll explore that idea. But what echoes in my mind is beyond, if you were to look beyond the passage that we read, you will see Jesus in chapter 5 of Matthew use the phrase, but I say to you, or truly I say to you. A phrase that comes up over and over in that section and of which we need to look in the context of these verses. But I find this quotation from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, The real meaning of the word fulfill is to carry out, to fulfill in the sense of giving full obedience to it, literally carrying out everything that has been said and stated in the law and in the prophets. That Jesus carried out all that the law and the prophets said, that he did that in full obedience. And so if we take that as our definition, that he is fulfilling by carrying out these things, then I think this evening that it's worth our while to look at, well, how? How did Jesus fulfill the prophets? How did Jesus fulfill the law? Not necessarily all of the what, but, but how can he say this? How can he look and say that he was to fulfill, to carry out these things? Well, first of all, how did he fulfill the prophets? I think the apostles guide our way on this. In Peter's second letter, in the first chapter, he says, We did not follow carefully cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he goes on to describe what we um, heard about this morning, the transfiguration the, the, on the mountain, that, that Moses and Elijah appeared and the, the glory of Christ and the voice this is my beloved son, listen to him. And he describes those things, but it's as if Peter says to us, but you don't have to take my word for it. He continues in that passage and says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. We were eyewitnesses. We, we have these things and we can, we can give you our testimony of these things, but it is simply making the prophetic word more sure to us. And, and you have that privilege too. You have that obligation too. Go and search these things, it seems as he's saying. You would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, As many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Wherefore also by Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. The promises of God, the things that He was, has been given about Christ to us in the Old Testament, they are yes to us. They are our amen to the glory of God. We would do well to follow Paul and Peter into searching out these things. But we know that the prophetic writings foretold of Christ down to the smallest detail. Yes, as we have seen in our Thursday night class, sometimes we 
look at the Jews, uh, the Israelites, and say, how did they miss this? How could they not have known this? How could they have been so blind? And yet, are we really that much better? We have the aid and help of the Scriptures, the New Testament showing us and showing us the Old Testament and revealing it to us, those shadows and types. But it talks of His birth, not only what it would be like, but where it would be in Bethlehem of Judah. It tells us of His life. Isaiah chapter 42, that great servant song. God says, I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. We, we, we see in the New Testament Jesus doing exactly those things, opening the eyes of the blind, leading captives free. It foretold of his death. And that great passage again, Isaiah gives to us in chapter 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. We read that in the scriptures. We read the gospel accounts of how he stood before those accusers like a lamb led to slaughter. And it also told, as we have seen recently from this pulpit, of his spirit that would come. Joel chapter 2. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your daughters and sons will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. We couldn't have seen those things any more clearly than I think the Israelites did. And yet we have the light of the New Testament to help us put these things together. But the Old Testament is inseparably bound to the New Testament. We cannot truly understand the one without the other. And I praise the Lord that I live in the New Testament age, and yet we ought not despise the Old Testament because in them we see Christ. In them we see God's redemptive plan unfolding, unfolding, unfolding until the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how did Jesus fulfill the law? How did he carry that out to completion and obey it? Well, again, not all in the detail, but broad strokes. I think we would start with Galatians chapter 4, when it says, he was born under the law. From the very beginning of his earthly life, his incarnation, it says he was born under the law. In order to fulfill the law, he must be born under it. As a Jew, he had to keep it all, did he not? He had to keep the law in its entirety. He had to be circumcised. He had to keep the commandments and ordinances. He had to understand how to worship rightly. He had to attend the feasts. He had to apply himself to the feast, for example, of the Passover. And he did. The scriptures tell us that he carried out all of these things in perfection, in all of their aspects. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by carrying it out. But 
being born under the law also meant dying under the law. He came under the curse of the law by accepting the death penalty his people deserved for breaking the law. The cross was not the tragedy that many people even today think it is. What a tragedy that Christ had to die on the cross. No, the cross was the fulfillment of the law. And Christ went obediently to the cross. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures say. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If he did not fulfill the law, we would not have life in his name. But he also fulfilled the law in all the Old Testament types. And we've mentioned some of those over the preceding few weeks that we've been looking at the law. He fulfilled the law in the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, in the temple and in the tabernacle ceremonies. It is the tabernacle of God's presence, Emmanuel, God with us. It is the sacrifices of the Lord Jesus Christ, sacrificing himself for us. He is the high priest to his own people. The law prefigured union with Christ. It prefigured renewal of the earth and dominion of man. It prefigured the righteous one who was to come, the one who kept the righteous law in all its aspects. But he also fulfills the law by the giving of his Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Romans 8, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as, though, as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Here we see what we talked about a few weeks ago, the righteous justice of God. Christ fulfilled the righteousness of the law, and he gave his spirit that we might do the same. He gave us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of self-control to live by God's righteous law, to live in a manner worthy of our calling as Christ wants challenge of the law, as I said, is interpreting Moses in light of Christ. Thomas Schreiner, in his book on Jesus and the law, says, Matthew's point here is probably that the ministry of Jesus fulfills the true intention in giving the law. And one cannot understand the Old Testament without identifying the one to whom it points. All of these fulfillment formulas that Matthew uses in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 5 and so on point to Christ. Even those, again, that we have heard about over recent weeks. In chapter 2, verse 15, we learn that when Hosea uses the phrase, out of Egypt I have called my son. Or later in chapter 2 when it says, he, speaking of Christ, will be called a Nazarene. It is pointing that Jesus is understood in retrospect in light 
of his incarnation. That we cannot see the Old Testament unless we understand that he is the fulfillment of it. In chapter 3, when Matthew uses the phrase when, of Jesus' baptism, Jesus again explains to John, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It is appropriate for you, John, to baptize me because it is a fulfilling of all righteousness. We understand the life and the ministry of Jesus fulfilled everything that the Old Testament law pointed to. Everything in the law, everything in the prophets culminates in Christ, and he is the fulfillment of it. And so when we come to this verse in chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus puts his stamp of approval on all of the Old Testament. All of the law and all of the prophets, the whole of the Old Testament. It is unique. It is authoritative. It is authentic. And Jesus believed it all. He says, I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so Jesus, again, with his own authority, speaks of himself as the true interpreter of the law. And I believe that Martin Lloyd-Jones is true in this sense when he says, and the law, therefore, has a lesser status than Jesus. That the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets did not elevate itself above Christ, but it came to show us Christ, to exalt him. Christ is the focus of the Old Testament, both the law and the prophets. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, quote, the moment you begin to question the authority of the Old Testament, you are of necessity questioning the authority of the Son of God himself, and you will find yourself in endless trouble and difficulty. Christ came for this reason to fulfill all the law and the prophets, not to abolish, but to carry them out in true obedience, everything that was spoken of him. The law and the prophets prefigure him. They point to him. They speak of him. They explain him. But I believe they also honor him. They also exalt him. They also lift him up that we may see him in all his glory. And we must strive as we read passages like this in Matthew to do the very same ourselves. Let us pray. Our Father, we do ask that you again would give us insight you would give us understanding of these things, that you would help us to see Christ in the words that we read in the New, but also in the Old Testament. Father, please help us to see him, as was already said, to look to him, to look to him, to look to him. Father, we ask that you would cause the things of this world to 
to grow dim, the things that would cause our attention to be wavering from Christ and the gospel, from worship in spirit and truth, to fall away and to be less pressing on our lives, that we may truly exalt him, glorify him, and search and seek him out. We ask again that you would do this for the church to build her up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.